So we're going to start a new thing. We're going to start a podcast. And I invited Etienne Bernard. And Etienne Bernard is the CEO of New Mind. Uh, welcome, Etienne. Thank you for inviting me, Daniel. Uh, with pleasure. So, Etienne, what's going on to, uh, these days at, at New Mind? Yeah, okay. So, where to start? Um, maybe I should define a bit what New Mind is. Sure. Right. So, uh, so it's a startup that I that I co-founded um, with with my CTO, and uh, a year and a half ago, uh, yeah, we started that. We actually founded it one year ago, and uh, we went to Y Combinator, and and uh, now we we um, made a product that that uh, we are in private beta right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, this product is a tool um, to create custom NLP models. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so which means, you know, uh, so NLP, natural language processing, right? So, so mm -hmm. um, and we specialize in the text understanding kind of models. So things to, you know, classify uh, documents, to extract information from documents. Uh, so classification and anti-detection are, are the classic tasks. Are the main task actually, and uh, yeah, is to create models specific to to a business application. Um, that's what we do. That makes sense. And and why did you choose this specific application, this specific business model? So, yeah. So this this uh, I mean, related to what I was doing before, mm -hmm. uh, was working at Wolfram Research. Uh, I was head of machine learning there. Uh, I joined two thousand twelve, and spent. Uh, almost 10 years <laughs> oh, nice. uh, there. And uh, basically, we're making machine learning uh, tools, so a bit like, like what I'm doing now. Right? It's, it's a machine learning tool, what we do at UMind. Also machine learning applications. Mm -hmm. um, and it was both for, for, for the Wolfram language, for Mathematica, and for Wolfram Alpha. And there was a lot of uh, natural language processing application. Uh, as you can imagine, with Wolfram Alpha, uh, you, know, you need to understand text and you know, uh, Mathematica as well. And I was a bit frustrated and, and uh, by, by how we were doing it, by the time we spent on labeling, you know, we, we had labeling team, mm. uh, um, think forever. And, and then I, you know, we, we saw this large language model appearing. Uh, GPT-2, I think, was, was a big uh, uh -huh. revelation. Uh, so how well they were understanding text. And, and, and I thought like, okay, we have things that, kind of understand text now we, we should not spend uh, this amount of time labeling and and uh, and it kind of called for a different tool as well so that's where the idea started and uh, yeah I would have I would have started the company earlier but then I, I decided I had the brilliant idea of writing a book which was <laughs> extremely time consuming I can imagine <laughs> so yeah great so... <laughs> great book by the way oh, thanks thanks and so yeah after after the book was over we we, we started that with um, with Samuel. So you're riding the wave of, uh, let's say, revolution of machine learning. What, what do you think about this, the current revolution that is happening these days in artificial intelligence? I think it's super exciting. It's super exciting. I think very few people predicted that just by scaling up what we already kind of knew how to do, you know, the last five years, let's say, uh, it will lead to such results. Mm. Uh, I think many people were expecting there's going to be a plateau at some point. It's going to plateau. Yeah. Like, you know, it cannot just from passively learning from the web. Uh, it cannot really construct word models. Uh, you know, it cannot really 
do any kind of reasoning, you know, and uh, it's doomed to fail. And uh, actually, that's a funny, I, the first that impressed me was actually not GPT-2. Was, it was further away. It was a paper from Google. Uh, I forgot when it, when, when it was, the date, uh, but it was a few years before. And they trained on uh, movie subtitles. Uh-huh. And uh, which means it was already a chatbot because, uh, you know, subtitles are, are a series of, of uh, like it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a series of different people talking to each other. So it's kind of yeah. an answer to a question, sort of. And so they, they made a chatbot and it was LSTM. So it was not uh, Transformer at the time, uh, but they scaled it up. I mean, I think it was already a billion parameter on this, uh, on this order. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the thing was super good. It already learned, you know, things about the world, like you could ask. What is the color of the sky? You would say it's blue. Uh, what is the color of a black eye? Uh, no, no, it was like, what is the color of blood? And it answers the same as a black eye, which I thought was amazing because like, okay, it didn't manage to answer, but it's actually, it's actually a correct answer in a way because you see blood in the black eyes. And, uh, and uh, I thought I was super impressed by that. Super impressed. Mm. Um, and at the time, I mean, I thought this is my scale, but the, the authors themselves, they write, of course, this cannot scale further. <laughs> of course, you need to have goal-driven uh, AI. Of course, it's super limited. It's autoregressive. It cannot really be a super AI. And uh, in turn down there, they might be right in the future, but at, at least for the medium term, they were wrong. Just scaling this naive thing of predicting the next token led to things that are super impressive. I mean, they have limits, of course, but... Honestly, that's super. Imp- I'm still impressed. Uh, yeah. Now I'm still using them. I'm still impressed. Yeah, me, me, me too. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, I've been working in the field for for a long time, and but when it comes to large language models, uh, it was mostly through papers and me trying to apply small large language models into some software applications. Uh, but honestly, when I was able to experience ChatGPT for the first time, I did not realize how far along we were. I did not realize uh, that we were um, so advanced already in being able to create something that is close to being an artificial intelligence. Uh, that was a, that was a... Same for me, actually. Same for me. I. I... I mean, I kind of knew GPT-3 was very good, you know, play, playing with it. Um, but still, it was, it was a bit of a shock. Um, and I mean, I guess that's what happened. I mean, it's five years ago. Like, the, the best models were kind of like, you know, BERT, uh, GPT-2, these sort of things. One gigabyte at most. Uh, yeah. Now, it's, it's 1,000 times bigger. And yeah. it's hard to comprehend what 1,000 times bigger can lead to some sort of emergent abilities. And I think it will lead to so many applications, of course. I'm super excited. I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's hype. I mean there's a hype of course. There's a huge amount yeah. of hype. But I don't think it's just hype rather. Uh, I think uh, you know of course the chatbot, the assistant, uh, you know, I mean we communicate through language. So now that we have something that can now of course the next next frontier yeah, so the text understanding kind and, and the talking back to you and, you know, having an assistant to do basic things, I think it's kind of solved. I mean, at least on a uh, conceptual point of view, uh, theoretical point of view. Uh, now, of course, to make it in the phone and so on, it's going to be take longer. But uh, uh, but it's true, the next frontier to have a 
kind of independent agent that can redo their own thing, like run a company and so on. Like we're still we're still far but far away. But what's interesting is that they kind of they can they kind of um, can do it a little bit, a little bit of reasoning, a little bit of planning. Yeah. Uh, that is, and, and and through writing, that's a funny thing. Is that they they have no you know, a funny thing you can do, right, with with ChatGPT is like, you know, um, think of a number random between one and ten, you know, and it just cannot think of this number between one and ten and keep it in memory. It does. It doesn't have an external memory. Uh, and and, but the way it replaces external memory by by writing stuff, and and that's why I think good good prompt a prompt. That are like before giving your answer, just write a lot about the context, all the thoughts you have, you know, re- reformulate the problem to yourself and so on. Because it actually is way of deducing things and kind of reasoning in a way through the text it writes, which is a hack. It's a hack. It's a complete hack. Like yeah. I don't think that's how we do. We we form kind of brain thoughts and then we you know that that we keep in memory like a, a bit like. A, yeah, a bit like an STM sort of, and it's a hack, but it but it kind of works a little bit, so that's amazing. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I was I was thinking last time. Uh, uh, so we we both are former physicists, and um, there there is a very foundational foundational moment of physics which happened uh, at the beginning of the last century, uh, between 1905 with the four articles of, of uh, Einstein and maybe 1930. It's when the emergence of quantum mechanics happened. Um, and it was a very, yeah, fundamental, fundamental uh, time where very new type of um, uh, physics were really created. Mm-hmm. And every every new discovery was huge. Now, now if you think about physics, if you find a new discovery, it's very small. It's very, um, de- you know, it's in the details of a specific field. But at the time, it was very fundamental. And I feel that right now in artificial intelligence, we are living a very similar time where the things we discover are big. And I think it's going to continue for a little while. Um, and we're going to be astonished, you know, day after day on the different uh, discoveries we may make in, uh, in machine learning or artificial, artificial intelligence. That, that's a very exciting time. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, although to, to complement to that... Uh, Many discoveries were kind of made a bit earlier, right? Uh, like Transformers, two thousand what eighteen, okay, uh, seventeen, seventeen, yeah. yeah. And um, so, so, so now it's also a lot about yeah, scaling up engineering, um, making the, the this massive models fast. Yeah, uh, that's uh, but already, the, but always ingredients were kind of there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the last ten years, I think, have been transformational yeah and now there's so many money and so many eyes and so on and uh, money money is going to help 
I mean, of course, there's always the. I mean, Jan Lecker is a big proponent of, of. I mean, how do you say that? Like uh, skeptical about the abilities of uh, you know, autoregressive uh, large language model to continue uh, improve so much. And he says mm. it might actually slow us down because now we have this thing that you know this 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 way of doing AI, so to speak, that has already been pushed, and so everybody wants to do the same thing. But I'm not thinking how could we do different to go to the next, next step, next level, um, which you might be right about actually. There's uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, still, I think yeah, so much energy and money into it that this new way of doing uh, AI, I think, might will emerge more rapidly now. I would say that. Yeah. And what do you think about the impact of this new? Uh those new AI capabilities on our societies. I mean, there's a lot of fear about uh, potentially uh, people losing jobs. What do you think about that? So the losing job thing is tricky. Um, and, you know, you have to understand a bit of, I don't know, economics and, and like, I mean, if we look in the past, uh, all revolution led to a transformation of jobs, but never a net loss. Never happened. Yeah. You know, industrial revolution. You know, um, and and even like like the, like, you know, some people were saying um, uh, compilers are going to put programmers out of job <laughs> because now you can do something in you know in C uh, instead of in assembly. Yeah. Uh, what's what's missing is that there's actually so much value to writing programs, so much <laughs> that you can improve the productivity of programmers. You know, by ten times, one hundred times. You still have, you just have 100 times more output, but it's still going to be useful output. So society will yeah. still want it. So that, that, that's the, the, the thing that is missing. And, but it's true. Some people say this, this one is different because this one is kind of replacing our, our, uh, no, sorry, imitating our brain, so to speak. So this one, this particular will be different from all the revolution that happened before. I think that. Um, we might be underestimating all the things there has to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, sometimes we are limited by our imagination. You know, if we have, let's say, you know, infinite, I mean, a lot of energy and, and a lot of intelligence, which this thing brings us, like, we could do amazing things. I could do, you know, uh, a spaceship to go visit the galaxy. I know, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, but I mean, it's like, there's a lot of things we can do. Yeah. And if that's the case, then it's just imagination, kind of the limit. But then I think people will have job in a sense that they will be able to do useful things. Um, so I tend to think that now, of course, some job will be uh, removed. Uh, I ran recently in France at some company that were doing press review. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, something that Google News does already pretty well for a while. Uh, but I guess it was specialized for topics, press review that we're selling to companies. And now you can have a computer because you have super good text understandings. So you could automatize that. So yeah, this thing going to go away, mostly. And yeah. some other things. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, oh. the, the way I see it, do you, do you finish? No, yeah, yeah, there was one thing. There's one thing. Yeah. There's actually one kind of job that will not go away for sure as well. Which mm -hmm. I think is pretty obvious. Is a job for which we want a human to do it. And, 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 and it's that is specific, like even if you have something imitating a human, the fact that we know it's not a human, we won't like it. You know, like let, let's say a singer. 
uh, going to a concert. You know, like you enjoy that it's somebody like you, that you know they had history, you know they grew up as a human. Could, if you see a you... fake singer, you'll be like, eh. Could you, couldn't you argue that uh, when you, you when you watch uh, CGI movies, or you know, like uh, 3D animation movies, or even if you watch a movie and you have some CGI, wouldn't you argue that? That's true. That we have something there. Yeah. That... Yeah. For actors, I think we don't care as much. Uh, for listening to music in your car, also we don't care as much. Going to a live concert, I don't know. I think we care. What about uh, um, DJs? You know, we we go to DJ concerts. It's it's not fake, but it's a very different way to put music together. It's DJ, I guess, it's a bit in the middle, uh, yeah. I would say. But otherwise, you have jobs like, you know, taking care of other people. Um, mm. You know, uh, there's things that we will be okay if it's an AI, but... For example, like, I don't know, you're, you're in a nursing home, you're an old person. Would you be okay to have only robots taking care of you and that you know that they are robots? I guess, I guess it depends. Uh, robots don't have empathy, but if it's just about serving meals and providing medications, those type of manual labor could, could potentially be replaced without too much uh, feelings about it. I don't know. No, I agree with your fraction, but I, I would like to still have somebody that just I know had the same kind of experience as me growing up and everything. Like a friend, you know, like having an AI friend, all right, but not only AI friend. Like I want to have somebody that I could relate fully, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know uh, I think we all have these, these feelings, but... When we're going to, when will come the time to have actually those type of replacements and those replacements will be able to do, you know, jobs efficiently for cheaper. I think those feelings are going to go away very quickly. For many, yeah. There will still be things to do. Yeah. And, yeah. I, honestly, I'm looking forward to the time AI will be able to replace us completely such that we can spend the day on the beach uh, tanning. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, but um, it's difficult to know if uh, AI are, are going to, you know, have a, a net loss when it comes to the jobs it's going to displace. Uh, but um, I think historically what we've seen is that every time we have some type of new tool, new automation, new abstraction for people to be able to um, perform their job better, Uh, it did not uh, impact the economy. It actually helped it. Oh, because, sure. yeah, some jobs would be displaced. Uh, that's, I think there's no, there's no debate on that. But the productivity is going to increase and uh, it's going to uh, open new markets and it's going to en enrich uh, current markets. So when you think about cloud services, It's, it's always an example. You were talking, you were using the example of, of uh, compilers earlier, but I, I, I like the idea of uh, cloud services. You know, like before in the 90s, if you wanted to stand up a website uh, that could scale to millions or billions of people, you would need a, a team of 100 people. But we, these days with uh, cloud service like AWS, you can actually do that with one person. 
uh, and it doesn't mean that you actually killed 99 jobs. You were able to, because now you can do that more easily, those 99 other people can focus on tasks, yep. uh, think about more complex applications instead of the, some manual labor that, that robots can do. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And um, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. And uh, of course, as you know, some people have other fears rather than just job displacement. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I don't know. Maybe that's something we could talk a bit about as well. Um, I guess one of them is just you know, if you empower everybody with a lot of intelligence, then everybody can do a lot of things, including harmful things. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, there's a classic uh, ChatGPT, please help me build a bomb, which is actually is, is forbidden by ChatGPT. Yeah. So that, that that's one fear. And it's true that, I don't know, let's say you have a biological lab in the cloud and and, uh, and so a lot of intelligence and, and you can synthesize a virus from, uh, you know, in your room. Uh, yeah, that's, that's th some things that are, people... I don't know, so I'm I'm curious. What are, what are your thoughts about these things? Like um, ChatGPT providing uh, ease to be more harmful. Is that yes, exactly. Well, and will it be a problem? I think it will always be a problem, and we'll need to make sure that we think about how to counter that. When 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 you know, like uh, we had some threats around cybersecurities. It was something new at the time uh, because, you know, we provided tools to hackers to harm other people and the legal authorities were not ready to fight this kind of problems because there were no laws and there were no antecedent uh, in with this type of problems. But it's, uh, I think it's a matter of making sure that... Uh, the legal authorities, uh, government works with um, those creators of potentially harmful uh, tools, like AI could be, uh, to design the right uh, regulations such that we protect people as much as we can. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I guess one uh, one fear that people have is that it's going to move too fast and so we won't be able to put the appropriate defense and this i, I disagree with this i disagree with i think it's uh, moving fast it's moving it's fast moving fast but i mean there's a bit of an illusion the last year since basically chat gpt december last year yeah because actually gpt 3.5 was older than that uh but they, but they made it a chat version, which suddenly made everybody realize its power. But if you look, GPT-2, GPT-3, and like GPT-4, it's actually quite some time uh, beneath, you know, and GPT-1 as, as well. So it, I don't know how much it was, but typically three years. Every three years, there was a new version. So I, I, I think something that is somewhat different in terms of the, the acceleration, but but maybe perceived is that uh, we always had some improvement developments on some algorithms and techniques in machine learning 
and we could easily uh, outline uh, uh, dates on very impactful uh, development of that field. But I think there's something a bit different that is happening right now in a sense that like every two days, there's a new tool, a new development, a new paper, a new uh, software application that comes out and that can directly be experienced by the common people. Like this morning, I was looking at uh, a new uh, development by the Google research team on how to uh, interact with uh, images and to mm. make it uh, like an interactive video just by having uh, that still image. And uh, there was a time where you were surprised every three years about a new development. But I feel that these days I'm surprised every three days on the new developments. So there's something different happening, I feel. That's true. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, these new text and image models, they were kind of raw. Like the intelligence was there, you know, but, but they were not really useful. And suddenly everybody managed to make them a little bit smarter, but also quite more use. And then now it's kind of a gold rush to apply these things to a bunch of things. So it's true. Now on the sort of harmful things, I haven't seen a lot of, I mean, if I look kind of the, you know, the benefit versus harm, mm -hmm. uh, I feel that for now the balance is heavily on the benefit, like heavily on the benefit. I haven't seen example of things that were um, well, uh, at scale. Uh, there are examples of, of teams being later uh, to be replaced yeah, by but it's, what uh, AI could do. Yeah, but, it, but I mean, it, I think it's, it's minor in the everything. The grand scheme? This, yeah, exactly. And, and what, what this, the benefits of AI is, uh, which are going to be, you know, we talk about the long term, about AI doing a bunch of things for us, but even on the middle term, you know, for education, that's something... Yeah. You know, uh, you know, having some personal teacher that can answer all your questions, that is super, you know, knowledgeable and, and reasonably smart. I think this is going to boost. And, and uh, I mean, and of course, there's also health and there's a bunch of other applications where it's going to be so much benefit, so much. So for now, I'm really not in the camp of slowing down. Really not. Yeah. Because I, I see the, the direction we are going, with huge amount of benefits and and potentially some harmful things, I think we should actually accelerate <laughs> as much as we can. And and then of course, as soon as we see problems, as you said, we have to put safeguards, you know, legal safeguards, and find way of countering this all the time. I guess. Make it I, safe. I guess we need. Yeah. I guess we need to re rethink a bit uh, the way we perceive some 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 things in our societies. You know, you were talking about education, for example. There's a lot of um, cases where students were using ChatGPT to cheat on some tests or some homeworks, right? Um, so my, my feeling about that is that, uh, well, maybe we should rethink the way we test people. Uh, we should rethink about the way we, um, we learn do we need assessments 
that robots can do to test our knowledge on some subjects? Or is there another, another more uh, efficient way to, to learn uh, to, be, to be useful uh, with what we learned? So it's a, it's a question, I guess, of rethinking uh, uh, some aspects of our societies and to see how AI can fit into it to help us and not to be harmful. No, definitely. Not, yeah. So we're talking about um, prompt engineering or prompt, like designing prompts earlier. Uh, it's, a, it's a big uh, debate those days, uh, this subject, like uh, the idea that they, we have something called prompt engineering. Uh, there's a big, big hype around that, that idea. Uh, a lot of people are debating the idea that it's an engineering domain or not. Um, and I guess there's a lot of influencers that non-technical influencers that are uh, able now to uh, call themselves uh, prompt experts or prompt engineering experts. Uh, what do you think about this hype around prompt engineering and and, yeah. and how does that fit into this? I mean, yeah, I think, okay, a few things. First, I completely understand the hype. That's really a new way to make the computer do something by just writing text. Like we're programming in, 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 uh, with, with natural language, mm -hmm. which, is, uh, which is amazing. And, and, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's easy by any means because, I mean, we know that for humans, you know, you cannot send an email to somebody, let's say, you know, you're managing a team, let's say you send an email to do something. You cannot expect the thing to be done the way you said because there's a lot mm -hmm. of things you have, a lot of different interpretation of your email. Yeah. So we're actually doing prompt engineering in a say all the, all the time when we're talking to people to make ourselves understood. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I've, I've heard people saying that in education, one thing we should teach people is how to just be clear and defining well what they want. Because, you know, in the future, like, like I mean, already with humans, it's important. But now, even with computer, it's going to be important. But, but so, yeah, prompt, en yeah. prompt engineering goes beyond that, no? Well, it's kind of modifying your prompts uh, mm -hmm. to make the thing do what you want, which is kind of a reformulating this email that you send to someone until this person understands. So it's a real thing. And actually, we are doing some prompt engineering in your mind for, for various applications. Uh, but it's also a bit transition. Uh, um, or do you say? Uh, it won't last long. Transition time. <laughs> Oh, it's, a, it's a hype, right? It's going to... Well, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, hype, I don't know, because it's real. It's real. It's a new way it's, of making a computer. It's, but it's, it's not going to last fade. forever. It's going it's to, going to tra transform. Like the, the prompt engineering that we do now will have nothing with what we do in the future. And the key is interactivity. Mm. So right now, even though ChatGPT is a chat, so it seems interactive, it's actually super passive. In a sense that you give, it's, a, it's a sort of instruction answer, instruction answer, instruction answer. Yeah. But it would never tell you something like, oh, I don't understand that. Uh, why do you want me to do that? Um, or, or doing suggestions or doing... Um, and, and, uh, and that's what, by the way, that's, that's one of our core philosophy at New Mind. Mm -hmm. uh, something that, that we called uh, interactive AI development. And... Uh, our, our thought about that, our idea, or how it originated, 
is what is the most efficient way to define a task? What is the most efficient way to define um, you know, what, what a computer should do? And, uh, and I thought a very efficient way in terms of you know, information bandwidth is, is to teach a bit like we teach each other humans. Mm-hmm. And the way that works, and I always take the example because, you know, it's related to what we do at NewMind, like you hire someone to classify your emails, okay? Uh, the first thing you're going to do is describe the task. Hey, I want to classify this email. That's a type of class that I'm looking for, you know, and you might also say why. Uh, and you might also give a few examples, good examples, you know, like the same you, you put in the documentation, the, the one that I full to understand. And, and then a conversation will start. An interaction will start. So the, the person will start labeling the emails and they will go back to you and say, hey, I don't know how to label that, that email. I just don't know. So please help me out. And they will ask, why? Which is, by the way, super information rich. Mm-hmm. Like if you were, let's say I was recruiting at some point and I was thinking, oh, maybe I should do a classifier for the resume. Good resume, bad resume. If you just say good, bad, bad, good, bad, good, bad, you're going to have to label thousands. And it's not because the machine is stupid, even if the machine is super smart, mm-hmm. because the information you give is actually not so high, not so rich. Uh, sometimes you, you want to you remove a candidate for some you know, reason just because it's in a different country, just because you know, everything as well stellar. Yeah. Uh, so, but if you, you say why, oh, no, not this one, it's from bad country. Oh, not this one, they failed at this question. Oh, not this one, I think they're too qualified. Oh, not that. Then it's going to learn super quickly. So the why is missing. Um, then you can also have suggestion from, from your, the person you're, you're, you're training, which can be a machine or a human. Uh, say, oh, actually, we want to classify, maybe we should classify this way or create this new label, you know? And that's all that that we call interactive AI development, which is, in my way, the optimal way of defining tasks until we have direct brain and interface. Uh, and we can share thoughts uh, extremely well, which is also useful for yourself to define the task. Sometimes you're actually not exactly sure about the task. And yeah. it's this interaction that makes you define it. And this, I think, is missing uh, in the current, uh, you know, chat GPT-like LLM. And that's why we need to do prompt engineering. But when will this will be generalized, um, then it's going to be a much nicer prompt engineering. It's going to be like, do that. And they're like, okay, I... Did you mean, you know, they would ask a bunch of questions. It's like, oh, what do you mean that? Oh, why? Oh, I don't understand that. Okay, can you present? And then little by little, you agree. And at the end, it will be clear. Be, okay, I think you understood. You won't even need some sort of testing. The thing will know. It'll say, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That, that makes sense. But let, let me, let me uh, press on, on the concept of engineering. You know, like, I think what you're describing is very much, uh, very basic uh, communication capability, communication capabilities, mm-hmm. uh, things that we learn in elementary school, right? Um, and I agree. I mean, at some point, that's the level that we should try to reach uh, this simple interaction with an AI that does not require any uh, does not require too much care in the way we formulate our request. But there's a, there's a, there's a whole field of how to design 
prompts, uh, the simple fact that we call it prompt engineering seems to imply that there's a skill to it uh, that you need to learn and train for. Uh, and so there's a certain expertise that needs to be developed to uh, actually uh, interact with What do you think of, do you think that there's a real need to develop uh, an expertise? And if we need to, is that expertise uh, deserving the label of engineering? I think there's a need at the moment. Uh, yeah. um, I guess it will stay there in some form, but it's going to be greatly reduced in the same way as we still need people to do, uh, uh, you know, low-level programming and, and assembly programming. Yeah. Uh, but most people do high-level programming or even like no-code, uh, use no-code solution. So I think that's what's going to happen. There's still going to be people do some prompt engineering in the sense, but it's going to be minor compared to everyone that are using and do amazing things with uh, with this LLM in a very natural, interactive way. Uh, and they won't need a special training for that. I mean, yeah, which is communication, understanding what the computer tell you back and, and be able to answer to that, which what we're training as humans uh, a lot. And, and yeah, I think that's something that you say we, we learn in, in, in elementary school, that's true, but, you know, we continue learning it after. Yeah, and, <laughs> for uh, sure. And uh, um, so, yeah, being being good communicant, it's going to be <laughs> an important thing, which requires also understanding. So it's not like we cannot just delegate everything to the machine. Like we have to be part of it if we want them to do what we want them to do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I have a similar opinion than you uh, in the sense that I think right now we, so I work, I you know, like I work uh, with uh, LLMs very often and 90% uh, of my time is spent designing the right prompt for the LLM to do exactly what I want it to do. So there's a lot of um, time spent trying to uh, fine tune the prompt and in a sense it's very much you know, spending time engineering a prompt. So there's a lot of that uh, when uh, you work with LLM these days. And I think by with LLM improving, with LLM having better ways to be fine-tuned to what humans are expecting, uh, I'm expecting this type of prompt engineering to fade away or at least uh, to be simplified or abstracted in some simple manner uh, such that common people can really interact with LLMs and really get what they exactly want. But I think there's another side of prompt engineering that is not going to disappear anytime soon and I think it's going to actually uh, become richer and richer which is a type of prompt engineering where we uh, that we designed to build software applications with uh, LLMs so you know, I'm thinking about like prompting strategies like React or chain of thoughts, three of thoughts, uh, uh, prompt, you know, plan and execute yeah. Uh, yeah. that yeah. are really meant to build applications or to use tools, you know, augment LLMs. Yeah. So this is, is linked and go back to our conversation earlier. 
to the autoregressive nature of these systems. Mm -hmm. Because they are autoregressive, um, they don't really, in order to, they don't really have memory. They don't. So, so in order to do reasoning, in order to do plan and so on, they need to write it down. Yeah. It's, it's a bit, uh, in a sense, it's a bit like this movie, you know, this Memento movie. Uh huh. Where, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I forgot exactly, but I think the, the guy loses memory every day or something like that. Yeah, and he has every, to. So he has to write everything. And that's a little bit what, what it is with this large language model. They have to, to write. <laughs> um, so the fact that they have to, to use that in order to reason, uh, which, by the way, is funny because language is symbolic. Mm -hmm. So, okay, if we're going on a complete tangent, AI used to be, uh, you know, and people believed that AI um, had to be symbolic, you know, do, do logic and, and, and reasoning on, on discrete type thing because that's the way we speak and also the way we program. And mm -hmm. so it made sense that AI, you know, and, and the big change was, um, well, actually to resolve tasks like uh, image, you know, understanding an image, understanding text and so on. This, this, this logic, this symbolic logic is not great. What works much better is to use sort of intuition. Like it's, it's kind of a, you have sort of reasoning, like logical reasoning and you have intuition. Uh, and, and intuition is much better and you have this, this, this neural network that process data and, um, in a more fuzzy way. And, uh, and now, in order to perform complex reasoning, it has to write down with symbols. So we did a loop and it's actually using, uh, in, a, in a sense, a form of symbolic AI to do its thing. Um, and because of this, uh, I think prompt engineering is kind of important because we have to, we're still hacking these systems. We're still hacking these systems. We're still like, hey, you have to write a lot of things. You have to think step by step. You have to do this. But when they get better, when they are not at all aggressive anymore, uh, I think this this will yeah clearly fade away. I, I I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, let me try to think it through. So, an AI or the generative AIs, the LLMs we are thinking about right now, uh, they we basically use data that has been generated by intelligent agents like us humans, uh, and we train. Uh, we, we basically build a, a, a very complex, a very complex uh, uh, architecture that has the flexibility to learn the statistics, to extract the patterns, uh, statistical patterns of that data, uh, to try to mimic the intelligent agents that generated that uh, data in the first place, uh, and. That's where uh, machine learning departed from symbolic AI in a sense that uh, instead of trying to encode intelligence into some formal uh, uh, algebra almost, uh, we uh, step back and we try to actually say we cannot uh, encode and we cannot um, formalized intelligence, we're just going to try to mimic it by uh, extracting the statistical patterns from the data. And to me, prompt engineering is not as much, I mean, I understand what you're trying to say with symbolic, but 
it's it, to me it's closer to a programming language where LLM is a very si- flexible function, a fa- subroutine, and a prompt is a codification of the instructions we want to provide to that function. And in a sense, I would not describe it as being AI. I would describe it as being closer to programmation. I agree. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. It is, it is programming. It's just that the way we're going to do programming, I think, will, will evolve. And uh, so actually, I think the analogy of assembly is, is, is pretty uh, relevant here. Uh, there will still people that will do the low-level work of programming the LLM directly, but, but the vast majority will use more advanced. Uh, and when I say LLM, it, yeah, I mean, that to be an autoregressive LLM, but, you know, you know, AI system, but the majority will, it will be full conversation. I had this question, like you said, uh, the some, somewhat that a problem with LLM is that it's autoregressive. Can you, can you clarify what you mean by that? Yeah. So the, what the autoregressive LLM does is just predicting the next word. Yeah. Uh, on the next token. And then it re-injects this token uh, inside, and then it computes what should be the next token. But let's say, uh, for example, I ask you to write a book. Mm-hmm. That's not how you would do it. You would just you would first think of a theme for the book, you know, uh, a topic. Uh, you might think a little bit about the characters. You might a little bit, you know, have some sort of story, which might be fuzzy. Like it's not necessarily it's in your brain. It's some ideas, some feelings, uh, some you know, and and so it's more of a top-down approach. Yeah. You know, and, and and we kind of plan as well, and 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 um and then and then then you, you would you would start writing, which might not be from the beginning actually, it might be from from wherever, and then and you might also modify it, you might also iterate over it. Uh, that's very different what's happening with LLM. First, there's not this top-down approach because what matters is where the random numbers are generated. In an LLM, you you, you put the sentence, you put your prompt. It computes, it's all deterministic. There's no random number at all. Mm-hmm. The only thing it does is computing the distribution for the next token, and then it's it's a random number. And uh, in a sense, a random number is taking a decision. Yeah. So the only decision it takes, so sure, it computes, you know, it has some sort of fuzzy memory before, but decision is made for the word. And so it's really weird, like write a book and, you know, make, before thinking about everything that's going to happen after, um, you have to make decision for the first um, thing. So actually, it tries to think about what it's going to do after, but it's very difficult. It's um, actually, yeah, I would like maybe to write a blog post about something because uh, it reminds me of what I was doing in physics. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, I was I was um, I was doing Monte Carlo Marco chain Monte Carlo simulation to to study. Uh, some, you know, the simplest kind of liquid, which is just hard spheres. You know, they just cannot overlap, uh, but they have no attraction. Or you know, and it was in two Ds. It was actually hard disks. And we're studying phase transition and such. But um, the way you generate a random, so that was the goal. The goal was to generate random configuration of hard disks. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might say, well, I, I start putting one disk, and then I put another one, and then I put another one, and then I put another one. 
this doesn't work. This is super inefficient. Mm -hmm. Because in order to know the distribution for the first disk, or maybe the second, if you have a periodic boundary condition, doesn't matter. But you have to anticipate what are you going to do with all the other disks. And, and, and it's super hard to compute. And, uh, and uh, so a better way is to start with a configuration and then modify it little by little, you know? Like it's more goal-driven. And, and you modify, modify, modify until you arrive to the solution. That's what you would do for your book, by the way. You would have a, So first, a top-down approach. So actually, it's two different things. First, a top-down approach. You might think more generally about how the disk should be and so on. And, and then modification uh, to obtain the, the, the solution. That's why, I must say, I was wrong. But I thought the autoregressive models were doomed, uh, would not work. Mm. For this simple uh, thing, it was like, how on earth can you not take any decision? And you have to anticipate everything that's going to happen after. And you're going to get the right uh, yeah. word. I was thinking, that's so crazy. That's not the right way to do. And uh, obviously, I was wrong because it works super well. <laughs> but it might still be there's a limitation. And that's, that's what I think somehow what when Yann Lequin says. Um, yeah, when you think about it, it's a bit crazy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's it's one of the reasons I I I was completely surprised by the capabilities of of tool like ChatGPT to be able to reason. Uh, that's not something I expected. So you know, uh, a model that can predict some numbers, a number that uh, a model that can try to uh, guess the next word by uh, sourcing in what it has seen before in its training data and trying to pull out the, the, the word that seems to make the most sense based on what he has read in his training data. Okay. But to be able to establish a whole reasoning based on just predicting the next one, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's mathematically mathematically correct, uh, you know, in the sense that if you imitate to pre the network well, then you can generate, you know, anything like scientific paper and so on. So you kind of need to be smart. But in practice, I would have said that's not the right approach. And yeah. Like many, many other did. Like like this paper on, on subtitle or Google, they, they said the same thing. It's called a neural conversational model, by the way, I just remember. You might think you need to have a more top-down, goal-driven approach and, and where you iterate over your solution as well. Uh, and some, so top-down is like some form of planning. So yeah, some form of planning and some form of iteration. And which, by the way, is what happens for images. When we generate an image, like all this diffusion uh, system, yeah. it's not autoregressive. They don't generate a pixel and the next one and the next one. Uh, they, they were autoregressive one. They were working pretty well. Uh, yeah. But the one that ended up working better is the one that kind of starts with an image and modify it. And so it's a bit goal-driven and iterative approach. And you also have random numbers at the beginning. So in a sense, the decisions are made uh, before. Uh, I, guess, I guess you have random number all the way. Uh, like the GANs were only at the beginning. Like you put random numbers, they kind of, that's a decision you're going to make. And then it process, 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 and you have an image. And, uh, and the diffusion... Uh, I guess also have front numbers in, in, in between.
but that makes more sense. So I would bet, I mean, it's pretty clear that it's going to happen for text as well. I think that would be crazy if it, if it does not. To, uh, to a what? To, 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 to be... To not autoregressive, not just autoregressive. Um, it seems like it's much more efficient to, to make decisions about the entire thing, you know, by throwing random numbers before. Um, and also to iterate over, uh, I guess, what you what what the thing answers and does. It's a it's a it's a good point. Yeah. I um, you know, when I think about how we solve that problem right now, we we actually use frameworks that are where we establish uh, a thinking framework for the LLM to fit to to follow, such that you can have it plan. And you can have it try to take to make some decisions over the course of multiple iterations. Um, so basically, we are solving this problem with some deterministic software. Some I'm thinking about LangChain, for example, where you can encode the way to structure the thoughts for uh, LLM to follow and and provide some structure around its way it's reasoning. Uh, but uh, yeah, because I'm biased with that type of way to structure thinking, I I wonder if we can actually inject all of that into the AI itself and have the AI being uh, able to have that plan, that reasoning uh, mm -hmm. beyond just being able to just predict the next word. No, I, I think it's going to happen. And, uh, and in the same way, yeah, and, and now beyond not planning and beyond um, iterating, the other issue is that it uses symbolic uh, words to, to do the reasoning. And often, I mean, symbolic are really good for some things, but often a more uh, numeric uh, way of encoding and processing information is the is more efficient. I mean, that, that, so I think... Uh, and I think we do we do both actually when we think. There's a part that is indeed symbolic and a part that is uh, numeric. Yeah. And uh, and it's kind of missing that it's gonna happen. I mean, I don't know when. Problem is like timelines. I don't know. Hmm. People will push it, push an LM. So that's that's a bit of an issue, right? If it's pushed works so well, then people that worked on alternative, everybody loves at them. Uh, like, yeah, look what the other do. <laughs> yeah, but in the future, it's going to be... We, we have a there's, a... there's an app. I mean, there are approaches beyond just being too aggressive, right? Uh, I mean, a model to generate text is always auto-regressive. But uh, when it comes to being able to educate it, uh, we we have techniques like reinforcement learning to help it to understand a bit better how humans uh, tend to think. So just beyond extracting statistical patterns from the underlying data, we're able also to give it a sense of how to um, uh, have more uh, a more human way to think. Do you think that uh, this is going to be, like if we push in that direction, do you think it's going to be potentially the right uh, way we we may solve for that? 
Yeah, and you're completely right. It's a fix. It's a fix. So another way to see the issue of autoregressive model beyond, you know, they seems crazy that you don't plan everything to happen. It's super hard and so on. And, uh, we're just sort of thinking from where I come from, from physics, but um, one, one, and actually I think that's how Jan Lecun explains it, is that if it does a mistake, sort of, you know, then it re-injects the mistake in the system. Mm. So then it has more chance of generating a mistake after, you know. Sure. Of course, it's, you know, it's not like there's a perfect solution or, or not a perfect solution, but, you know, you get the idea. And, and so it's unstable, like it's an unstable thing, you know, because it re-injects its thing. So it has to divert at some point. So and, it's, it's uh, what we call, it's, it's, uh, and it's as hallucinating. It's what we call hallucinating, no? Hallucinating. I guess it's part of hallucinating. Uh, but I guess hallucinating is also just, but yeah, 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 yeah. It's part, it's related. It's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, and, and it can become completely crazy. And I think, uh, GPT people through beings are allowed to interact a long time with it. And, and that's why people were managing to make it go and, crazy direction and become completely nuts um, and and uh, and most likely what's happening is that you talk too long and there have been too many mistakes in a way and yeah. um, and as a way to see it you know in a machine learning perspective is that you know when you train okay let's go to classic machine learning like classifiers you train classifier on the training data right and then you put it into production I mean you mm -hmm. test it whatever you validate and, so, and then you put it into production and uh, the hypothesis we usually do is that the data is in production is from the same distribution as the data during the training. Yeah. They're in the same domain. You know, we say in distribution yeah. or in domain is probably better. Um, and, and, but of course, we know that it's a little bit different in production. So we need to, to correct a little bit, but it can be the same domain. It can be the same distribution, you know. Uh, um, with NLM, what's so interesting is that it generates data. And then it, so it learns from the web, let's say, to imitate the web. Mm -hmm. But then you re-inject the data that it generates to itself. So we actually know for a fact that the data it ingests is not from the same distribution as uh, the training data because it didn't yeah. learn the distribution perfectly. We know there's, a, you know, it's not a perfect, um, it didn't learn perfectly in the web. There's already some mistakes. So, so it's kind of guarantee. It's like a machine learning system that is guaranteed to work out of distribution, out of domain. And, and you, you know, and um, when you think about that, in a way, reinforcement learning with human feedback, I guess reinforcement learning is just a detail. Don't really care. Uh, it's more the human feedback. And it's more the fact that for the first time, the LLM is learning from data that it generated itself. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I mean? like, a, yeah, I, I wonder about that because, um, when we talk about in and out distribution, uh, okay, so we train uh, LLM with web data, uh, and it does not generate web data, it, it generates something else, and then it's utilizing that something else. Um, but I would argue that the, the way to categorize or to qualify the data that we use uh, to train that type of model it's not really about be, being web data. It's not really about uh, the subject that the data is treating, but more about the way the different tokens 
are uh, being uh, linked to each other in a sentence. So uh, I would actually say that uh, the type of distribution we ingest at training time to an LLM is not about a distribution we qualify to be web data, but it's a distribution we qualify to be um, uh, how humans logically uh, uh, connect tokens to each other uh, in a sentence. And uh, as such, uh, I don't think it's generating out of distribution. Uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's not generating data that has been seen on the training data, but it's generating uh, tokens, you know, because it's autoregressive, it's generating tokens that are capturing the logics in the way we communicate and articulate thoughts uh, in text. Yeah, yeah, no, I see what you mean. Um, this logic, in a sense, can be uh, represented as a distribution. And so um, I guess it, it doesn't matter in a way which training data it is. The LLM is trying to approximate uh, the distribution it's given. Mm -hmm. and, but it's an approximation. It's not yeah. exactly the same. And, uh, and it only learns in this first phase when you create this you know, uh, base LLM before doing mm -hmm. the um, feedback, human feedback tuning. Mm -hmm. Only learns from data that is external, like it learns passively. Yeah. And it tries to approximate the distribution that it sees. Sure. But it's an approximation, so there's a difference. And then when it's running, if you're just going to generate one word, it's fine. Because the, 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 the prompt, in a way, might be from the same distribution as the external data, or maybe not, but whatever. But anyway, when, when you generate many words, because many tokens, because so these tokens are from a distribution, the sequence of tokens are from a distribution. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. that have been generated from a distribution which is a bit different from the distribution it learned from because it's an approximation, but then they are re-injected. So by definition, like this is like mathematical. So, so sorry, they, they are re-injected uh, through the autoregressive auto exactly. process? Exactly. exactly. Or, or, but also, I mean, you could also argue that it's re-injected by generating new web data that could potentially be used to... Okay, there's other things. It's, it's another thing. It's another thing. But, but here I'm just talking about when you yeah. use an LLM, you train it to approximate the distribution of whatever data you give. It's an approximation. Then it generates from distribution that is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And then because this data is re-injected in the LLM, it means that it's working on, on, on data generating from a distribution which is different from the training. So we know it's absolutely certain that they are working out of domain. You see what I, I mean? Uh, yeah, I... For the base so, LLM, not for the fine-tune with feedback. Um, so, so, so let... Can I, can I interject? Yeah. Because I, I don't know if... Um, I guess I don't know if I'm agree, I agree on the terms uh, here. So let, let me try to, to break it... I mean, to, to walk you through my, my thinking here. Uh, so... Let's come back to typical machine learning. Like, like uh, you have some tabular data 
you train a model on that tabular data and in production, when you deploy that model, you hope that the production data is of the same distribution than the data uh, that has been seen at training time. Uh, when we talk about distribution in, in that situation, we think about the distribution of samples that are provided to the uh, model at training time and at inference time. But when we think about distribution, we assume that statistically, statistically speaking, we have enough samples to describe a, a distribution. That statistically we can describe a distribution, but potentially we could approximate by a probabilistic distribution. Uh, when we think about, when we come back to the example you were describing, uh, obviously we have a distribution of data at training time because we have a lot of data, so we can statistically define a distribution. But when you think about the autoregressive process, uh, here we are talking about a very few amount of samples, right? We are saying one word, we predict a word, we inject it, right? It's it's a very so I feel it's unfair to describe to to do, describe this as being a different distribution, because yeah, uh, it's true that uh, that's potentially something that has not been said, but I would. I mean, in, in the training data, but I would, as an analogy to the traditional machine learning, I would say that uh, it's more similar to uh, receive a sample that uh, has not been seen in training. And a sample does not describe a distribution. It's just uh, a sample that has some uh, values for the different features. Uh, and it's not because it has not been seen in training that yeah. it comes from a different distribution. Well, you know, I, I agree. Uh, one sample is a distribution. Uh, even if this sample has been generated from a different distribution, uh, so this is kind of a, not, not really a way around it, but, but um, I agree with your intuition is that uh, when it's small, when it yeah. don't make the LLM generate a lot, it doesn't matter. And um, which also goes with the intuition of the sort of chaotic nature of this autoregression, mm -hmm. like when they made a the mistake. So that's probably like like for chaotic system, you know, uh, at least for this uh, Bayes LLM, this mm -hmm. is like a typical window length, you know, number of tokens where they are typically fine. And if yeah. you go behind, they get crazy. Um, and so the human feedback, I think what's happening is that because... Um, we have the LLM actually generate stuff and having humans saying that's good, that's not good. For the first time, it's like, hey, that's the that's data that I produced. And so it, it's learning to uh, kind of correct it, it, its mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, um, but, but, but it's true, it, it seems a little bit like a hack. Um, I mean, not that much. It's, it's, a good, it's a good hack. It's a good... <laughs> and actually, yeah. it, made, it made a lot of difference uh, in the usability of the system as, as well. And, uh, uh, but still, it's still autoregressive. Like, uh, that's a good question. Okay, that's a really, really good question. So this argument that, okay, the autoregressive, they eat the own food they are created, and so it's chaotic. But you could have good repairing mechanism. Okay. You know, 
you could have things like actually, and we do that. Some of my people argue this, like we do that in speech. Like you start a sentence and then you stop like, oh no, actually, no, that's not what I wanted to say. And, and you continue. And you can become very robust to that. And um, so, so actually, I don't know the answer, but I think the argument that it's chaotic by nature, it will always be chaotic. There is some truth in it, but in practice, it might not matter if it really learned to be very robust, to self-repair. You know, it does some mistakes, but it's actually correct itself. And then it's very robust and it's fine. And it can just uh, uh, generate. So, but, but it still hints that it's, it doesn't seem the best way to do things. It's like yeah. this auto-aggressive seems a bit, uh, yeah, not the best approach. Uh, Me, although agree it works amazingly well. <laughs> I agree. For now. It seems counter, counter, counterintuitive, but actually it would work. <laughs> yeah. So I had a, a question. Um, so you've been saying that you, know, you were a physicist. I was too. Actually, we studied together mm -hmm. uh, in France. And you went Do to. Do you remember? We went to a neuroscience, neuroscience like, uh, class together. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I took a. Two lectures of it, and I left. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was, that was, that was, I'm not sure it was pretty good. Uh, it, it was a lot know. on biology. It was a lot on the biology. But we already yeah. had this, uh, even though we, I don't think any of us knew what machine learning was at the time. Yeah. We already still had this attraction to uh, to intelligence. I, I still, I still have the textbooks of, of that class. Uh, there was a, uh, and I still I haven't read it. <laughs> so, you know, like. Um, a lot of so you you went to do a PhD in physics. I, I did too, uh, and I noticed that a lot of physicists or a lot of people that uh, started to study physics uh, ended up to be working on machine learning. Oh yeah. Do you do you notice that? Do you do you agree oh, with yeah. me? Absolutely, I see that all the time. I mean, many of our common friends and even the ones that were the most into physics, at some point they end up data scientists somewhere. Yeah. Uh, why, why is that? Why is that? Well, I think, I mean, there's a modeling, which is similar, you know, making models in physics, uh, models in machine learning. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities. Uh, there might be, a, you know, also people that like physics like this as well. Uh, okay. Then, you know, I think it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of feel that attract the same kind of people. Uh, and of course, I mean, there's an AI revolution, so this is super attractive to uh, to everyone. Uh, I don't know. For me, I, actually, I don't see a big difference. In, I went from, from physics. physics. I mean, yeah. I went from physics to statistical physics to machine learning, but for me, it's a, it's continuity. It's a complete yeah. continuity. I, 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 same, I yeah. don't feel that I changed both in a way. Uh, I, I felt I did, I did the same. I was doing the same job as a data scientist. Uh, than I was doing that when I was doing my PhD. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, very, very, very similar type of work. I mean, very experiments. Similar. I mean, this, okay, this is obvious. All the experiments you need to do. Uh, I was, the, I was a theorist. I was a theorist. Oh, yeah. so you I, need to also I, to understand a bit of the theory. I mean, it's like... Uh, yeah, know. but we, we did, I mean, like you did, right? you did a lot of numerical simulations, which are experiments. Yeah. Uh, but they are usually uh, qualify as being theoretical uh, research. Even then, it's very experimental. Right. Um, I see that more as experimental. Uh, 
yeah, I felt the, the math was very similar. The 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 tools, the mathematical tools. Yeah. There's the, even some the, words that are taking from it. The, the words, yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. Uh, the fact that uh, in physics we are very comfortable with the idea to work with probabilistic system. It's something that we learn with quantum mechanics and with statistical physics. Uh, mm. When we comes to, when we come to work on data science problems, uh, machine learning problems, it's, we are comfortable uh, uh, being able to think about an event uh, being probabilistic. It um, makes it a very similar uh, type of thinking. Definitely. So. So what, what led you to machine learning? Aha. What led you to machine learning? Okay. It's honestly, it encapsulates a lot of the thing I like. Like it's almost a perfect storm. Um, I liked computers from a young age, you know, like, 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 uh, I was lucky at, uh, at home. I hated uh, computers. You hated computers. I remember <laughs> we're, we're doing, uh, numerical physics together and you didn't like it so much. I loved it. Hated that, um, and uh, like programming. I mean, I always. I mean, when my father told me the first time, you know, so you know, I was playing game on the computer, of course, and and then so you know, in this game, you can actually make them, you can program them. You know, that's just magic. I was like, what? I, I you know, and of course, like many, there was a point of my life where you know I want to be a programmer to program games. You know, um, then there was physics, also driven by my father. Uh, <laughs> Uh, which was just, you know, about understanding the world. Like, who doesn't want to understand the world? I feel, I feel we're all physicists, you know, babies. Mm -hmm. Physicists, they discover about they do a bunch of experiments. They want to understand the world. So I think I kept my baby desire to understand the world. Uh, so I wanted to be a physicist. Yeah, that was the thing. That was the thing. And so, so that's why I went, I went into physics. But I also liked probabilities. Uh, yeah. uh, from from playing games, you know, board games, like you play Monopoly, and oh, you yeah. have to know that when you throw two dice, it's more likely to do seven because there's more combination, you know, one and six, mm -hmm. two and five, and so on. And I think that's why when I arrived, uh, when we were together in Bachelor and we discovered statistical physics, I felt completely in love with it. It was, it was mixing, uh, yeah, statistics, probabilities, and physics, and I thought it was so powerful. Mm -hmm. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been attracted to powerful things, uh, like <laughs> programming. <laughs> no, I mean like, like, you know, things you can, you can do a lot with, Okay. Uh, like computer, you can do a lot with, uh, statistical physics, you can do a lot with, just with a few statistical arguments, you can understand how a big system behave. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, and then there was the last element, which was computers. So it was probability, physics, and then computers going back, back in a mix, um, to do uh, numerical simulation for statistical physics. So this, I, I really loved it. It was almost the, the, yeah, I thought as high as I could get into things that I like to do, even if the research process, you know, writing papers and so on might be a bit annoying. Uh, and then the last thing was to realize that of course, AI is something, you know, it was something that, uh, we, we, we played to, uh, you know, Otello or Reversi, this game, you know, yeah. And, 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 uh, with my father, we, we, so it was no machine learning at all, but we're developing uh, some small AIs to play against each other. Um, so it was really fun to have something that does it by itself. You know, it was all coded, of course. I'd put some rules, uh, you know, and, and things like that. And, uh, 
uh, but it's so fun to do something. And so then when I realized 2010, it was a Netflix prize. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, maybe 2009, I don't know. Uh, during my PhD. Yeah. And I realized, wow, so you can analyze all this data and figure out what people predict what people will like. This was a pivotal moment. I learned the word machine learning thanks to this. And then I realized, oh my goodness, there's computers, there's sort of physics, there are models, there's statistics probabilities, and this can, we'll be able to create AIs. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be my life. I, I, I'm more percent certain of it. So I left physics, uh, joined Wolfram Research, um, went to do, they had nothing in terms of machine learning there, which was great because then I be able to, you know, doing things and then create the machine learning group there. And then, uh, then I led the machine learning group and, and, uh, and I don't think I will go out of machine learning or AI, uh, yeah, for the next 30 years. Well, it's a, it's a much more romantic, uh, uh, approach to a career than, than mine, I have to say. Uh, Wait, what is yours? What is yours? Well, I mean, I, I, I do love, I mean, I like the, I like mathematical modeling and I was doing a PhD doing a lot of mathematical modeling and I wanted to do something that resembled something like that after. Uh, I was doing a lot of programming too, so I, I was comfortable with the idea to potentially become a software engineer. But it was much more uh, grounded in the sense that I needed to find a job. <laughs> uh, physics is not a job. I mean, there's very, very little amount of jobs that relates to physics. Uh, so I thought, uh, you know, I could become a quant, I could become a software engineer, I could become maybe a consultant, uh, and I could become a data scientist. Uh, and it's not really that it was, I mean, I guess it was the, the, the thing I preferred, but it's mostly because I got my first job into a data, I mean, I, my first job was in data science. I mean, the first company that took me as an employee uh, was for data science position. So I ended up to become a data scientist, mostly because uh, fate chose for me more than I chose uh, for myself, you know. So, and I ended up to like it, you know, and, and I was very glad that uh, uh, fate chose that well. But um, I, I, I didn't... Yeah consider that that uh, career path uh very very early on yeah uh, i mean i had some back and forth where at sometimes you know in my in my academic career my in my academic life i i i saw that artificial artificial intelligence thing and i was like oh that sounds sounds fun yeah, you were interested by that huh that's why we're going to this neuroscience yeah things. i mean of course of course of course of course but yeah, it, it, it was a bit um, random for me, I have to say. Well, it worked out pretty well. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess. And um, so now you're, you're building a startup uh, that relates to machine learning. Mm -hmm. uh, you're completely uh, into the, the right field uh, of natural language processing uh, with the current hype around that domain, it's the right, the right field. Let, let me give you a story. Uh, when, I mean, you told me many years ago that you wanted to build that company and you, you told me about the business model. And uh, at the time, 
I thought, okay, not, not very convinced, not very yeah. convinced. Normal. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, you were able to, to build it, uh, and hire people and, and, uh, for me, it was a, it was a revolution. I mean, it was a revelation in a sense that Etienne was right all that time. Mm. He was able to, to see through what, what I could not, uh, so I, I, I was very impressed by that uh, ability, that vision that uh, I could not uh, really understand at the time. Yeah, no, so, thank you. I mean, it was, honestly, I think everybody was asleep uh, before <laughs> ChatGPT. But like it was, yeah. GPT-3 was so, I mean, GPT-2 was like, do you realize what's happening? I was, it was very surprising. And honestly, new mind should have been done before. But yeah. I mean, we always regret that, right? It's, it's not really. Um, and uh, so I was writing this book and I was saying, when, uh, weirdly enough, there was no new mind like uh, being created. Uh, and so, so I was like, okay, well, it's not too late. Let's do it. And then, then I, I, I planned, I mean, I, I thought that people would stay asleep for another two years uh, yeah. since they have been for three years already. And, uh, and yeah, why I, six months after incorporating <laughs> the NTGBT arrived, like, whoa, now people are very awake. Yeah. I said to everyone, we have no head starts in terms of vision. We have no head start anymore. Now we have to, we have to go fast. And you were there at the right time. You were ready for it. That's great. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. 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 So, you know, a lot of people doing, uh, so I guess we, we, we kind of choosing things a bit harder to do. Yeah, and uh, uh, that way we, we we still keep a bit of an edge, you know, from our experience uh, developing things like that. Uh, um, because of course, there's a lot of applications which are not that hard and and very a lot of value added, a lot of value added, and so for sure, a lot for of sure. companies are on it. Uh, you know, like assistant for companies, you know, uh, creating chat GPT for companies is something. It's like. I don't know, trillion dollar business. <laughs> For sure. It's, 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 uh, it's massive. Um, and it, a bit of deep root. I, I was, uh, so you're building that company, uh, you're half in the US and half in France, right? Yeah. Uh, actually more than half in France. I'm, I'm, uh, at the moment I'm alone in the US. Uh, we are eight in total. And so the seven others are all in Paris. Nice. Uh, where where the, my co-founder and CTO is, uh, which is good. I get to get back to Paris reasonably often. Uh, uh, and and uh, I, I was wondering. Uh, so you know, I think you mostly worked in the US as an employee, uh, and you you were able to uh, launch your company in in the US. Uh, but you, you are experiencing something that may be new for you, which is growing the company in France. Um, are you able to see a difference between the way we work in the US, maybe, and the way we work in France? Um, is there a different philosophy, different culture around that? I don't know if there's a big difference from what I see. It's kind of the same people, you know, uh, computer people. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit international. It's a bit international. Um, yeah, not, not, not so much actually. 
not so much. I mean, the, you know, the laws are different, of course, you know, all the legal thing, but, but otherwise the people, uh, I guess, French tend to be a bit more careful. And uh, startups is also special, you know. It's like comparing a company. I mean, Wolfram was, you know, you, you have a lot of freedom. You do, it's yeah. Yeah, 800 people, something like that. Uh, I don't know, please, something like that. But uh, we had a lot of freedom. We're doing a lot of new things at a fast pace. So it felt a bit startup-ish. Um, yeah. And then, and then, and then a French startup, it's, it's, uh, it's actually very similar. It's, uh, it reminds me in the early days when I arrived at Wolfram uh, with a small team and, uh, and uh, a lot of excitation. Uh, yeah, it's actually really, really fun. It's too bad that I'm not in person. Uh, it's good that they all are the same place and that I go from time to time. Uh, it's true that I, when I go back, when I go to France, uh, we, it's, it's where most IDs, I mean, I mean the rate of ID uh, is pretty high and, and not just ID also. And, you know, I don't know, put some extension. We, we do things a little bit faster, I guess. Uh, but it's working very well. Otherwise, yeah, my life is here. Otherwise, I yeah. go back. So that, that was my next question. Like, uh, you're working in the US. Uh, uh, would you see yourself being able to work in France uh, if it was not for the social attachments you may have here? Yeah, it's a possibility. But on a personal level, I don't like to live where I already lived. Uh, yeah, I kind of like, I mean, I think you can relate that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I got, I got the virus when we were probably in our master. That's where we did like a, a semester abroad or something like that. Yeah. I forgot where you went. Where, you, you went to UK, I think, no? Yeah, I went to the UK. I went to Sweden. And I just loved living abroad. It's so, so that's, that's, a, that's a reason? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like to live abroad. You know, I, I don't like... Mm. I love to visit back my country, original country, to have holidays. It's really nice. And there's good food. And there's, you know, Paris is a beautiful city. <laughs> uh, but to live, I like to live in... Uh, it seems a bit stupid, but uh, but but it might be the case that I have to go back to France and and uh, might be very happy as well. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see the needs. I mean, it's really the, the needs of the company. Uh, if it if it's you know, I mean, at Wolfram I worked remote for a long time. It was working very well. The entire team was remote, so so I think it can work very well, and it does. It works very well remote. Uh, me being remote. Uh, but if it happened not to be the case, then I might have to go back hey. or open an office wherever I am. Yeah, I don't think I could go back to France. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know. Like, um, so definitely, I, I've gained something coming to the US. Uh, for me, it was more about the mindset. I think you can do exactly the same thing in the US and in France. It's a two very free, free countries. Uh, you can... Uh, start companies in both countries. Definitely, you can work in both countries, and and there's not a lot of differences when it comes to the laws, even. Uh, but I feel I feel that uh, when I arrived in the US, I I was given you know there was a, a mindset of freedom. I didn't feel that I could do more thing more things. I felt that people were more open for me to do things. 
and that gave me more freedom to to go to to go beyond what I usually feel comfortable doing. You know, like uh, it was easier for me to go outside my comfort zone yeah. in the U.S. because there's this mindset of, you know, if you want to try something, just do it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just try. Um, and I really enjoy that. I really enjoy this opportunity to to try whatever I you know I feel like doing uh, today. And and you could do the same in France, but. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people that are going to tell you, uh, "Don't do that. You don't know how to do it. You know, don't try that. It's too hard." I feel, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. That's one of the reasons uh, I went to the US. Uh, it's. I mean, it's a lot of well-meaning person. You know, they will tell you it's not going to work. You know, but it's like, yeah. But but it's it it's changing. It's changing uh, a little bit. And that's for the for the startup ecosystem uh, is changing, and now you know if you want to say I want to do a startup, people don't roll their eyes anymore. Um, yeah. So, so that's. Uh, I mean, that's good. A good example is New Mind, right? Uh, if I understand correctly, uh, the HQ of New Mind is uh, in a place where you have tons of startups, and this has been. Oh yeah. C c can you tell me more about? Yeah, it's this? Station F, uh, yeah. and you have, I don't know, maybe 2,000 startups yeah. uh, in a massive, you know, old, uh, it's not a train station, but but almost, uh, yeah. it's I think a massive marketplace. Uh, and yeah, so you have all this energy, and it's something that is that is uh, a bit of hype, in a sense, I mean, a bit of a, um, people like to work at a startup, and and, uh, and yeah, that place is a, uh, that place is a, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe that place is the biggest aggregation of physical aggregation of startups at the same place in the world. Is that is it true? Might be, might be. I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised. I cannot think of any other uh, place like that. Uh, maybe yeah. San Francisco, but it's not one one building in a way. Uh, yeah, it gives it gives a good energy. I think that's. Uh, no, I think I've been changing, so that's. But still, the spirit in the U.S. is a little bit, you know, in my bucket, I have buckets that we shouldn't go there, you know, of what's best in the U.S. and what's best in France. Yeah. And and in what's best in the U.S., it's a state of mind related yeah, to for sure. entrepreneurship and doing things and optimism sure. as well. I think uh, universities or education can help a lot in promoting uh, a more entrepreneurial uh, mindset. I, I remember meeting a lot of students coming from Stanford. Uh, and this is a place where if you come out of Stanford and you don't start your own company, you're a loser. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, such, it's such a push for you to create something new, to go beyond just going to work for an, employ uh, an employer. Um, that... You know that mindset is is it's 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 very hard to find something like that in the university I went in the U.S. They didn't have that mindset and they are trying to really change that and to really be the generator of uh, entrepreneurial mindset and it's uh, I think it's very important that the educational system can push you uh, in taking risk uh, and definitely I don't think the 
French educational system is pushing you to take any risk. At least that was my That's true. Uh, feeling yeah. being there. Yeah. No, it was at our time, especially, and before probably even more. And uh, uh, this also is changing. I think it's more, they inject more project-based uh, type learning, and which of course force you to take risk and not just, you know, learn your lecture and do the exercise one time over and then be very good to, for the exam. So I think, yeah, this is changing as well. But I mean, yeah, I was not a fan of the... I mean, I, I, I think French educational system destroyed some people. Yeah, people. Uh, it did for me, I think. That's, uh, but pro you, were, you were probably rebel enough to not be completely destroyed. I don't know. And think I, by yourself. I, I was, I was and, lucky. Uh, that's very weird. We're talking a, a lot about that with my wife lately because we have kids and so where, where they should be. Um, mm. it's tricky they all have pros and cons like, like in, in France we learn more stuff yeah uh, for and for a longer period of time and longer period I of mean, times you know like, like yeah, in history in geography and so on we have all these yeah. facts um, that, that are you know that the US if we compare to that will not have uh, but it's true uh, it's not so much pushed toward independent thinking toward being creative being innovative, it's not really the thing that is pushing for. And, uh, you Take, know, it's taking like, risk, taking risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in France, yeah, mistakes is, of course, a problem. Like, like nobody wants to, like, it's badly seen. Trying something and failing is badly seen. Yeah. And, uh, the way you can see that the worst is more clearly is in learning a new language, learning English, because learning language is about doing a lot of mistakes is throwing yourself yeah. out there and speaking and speaking. And, and French people <laughs> are very bad at speaking English. Yes, it is because I think they are, they are scared. As I mean, people say, oh, you know how to speak, whatever, Spanish, German, like, you know, and they were like, no, I don't want to say anything because I might do a mistake and, and, yeah. and everybody might laugh at me. And uh, it's really ingrained. And that's why they are, <laughs> French are bad at learning. Uh, also the fact that we learn in a theoretical way, like we learn all the grammar sure. and, and, and not speak that much. Uh, it's, it's true it's true it's, for everything we, we like we learned a lot of theories yeah uh, but we we don't have a framework to apply that theory yeah. uh, in practice yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah definitely definitely not as much as in the US at least yeah yeah it's very formal in a sense uh, yeah theory driven definitely theory driven for many things of course math prime example and uh, that's uh, but I was discussing with someone that was saying but the great thing is when you have someone that is extremely intuitive and extremely smart and then learn in this very theory-driven and big formalism in France, mm -hmm. and they end up middle fields. And that's why we have so many middle fields in math. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. I think we, we like, uh, think French and Russia, I think, is not so bad, like, compared to the amount of people. But I think with the amount of people we are, we are, like, uh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I think we are the best. Uh, but it requires a bit of a, actually, yeah, it requires what you have at home. I think it's important. Uh, the education that you have at home and your parents and so on. And uh, if you don't have this and you just try to have the good mark in France and you all optimize everything in your brain to get the good mark, I think you end up with some uh, deficit in creativity, in independent thinking, in this one. And I've seen that. I've seen that at university. Some people whose brain was good in a way, 
in yeah. the sense they were, you know, they can memorize a lot of stuff. You know, they could do complex reasoning when you put in like, like the, the, the hardware is there. And the way they were thinking, like even master, you know, when I think about physics and things like that, it was like, you think in pattern matching, you try to reproduce, you try to, to you know, you, you try to have your way to, to do an exercise 100 times older to, to be able to master the ACE exam. And you actually don't understand. It's not a better way to really understand what you're doing and then go further. And uh, I thought that was pretty sad, actually. Uh, so yeah. like, you know, and that's the education system that, that I think, uh, maybe it's a personality as well, but um, that instill that in them, I think. There, there might be part of it, might be uh, the way we view politics. Uh, France has a, more, has a stronger socialist culture, socialist democrat. Uh, culture than in the US and this this implies this uh, means that people are expecting a bit more from the government and they tend so what that means in my opinion it, people tend to um, delegate responsibilities to um, to another entity like the government much more than in the U.S. I think in the U.S. people tend to be uh, yeah. <laughs> more independent. You know, they want don't to trust. take independence. Don't trust the system. Much, don't trust the government. <laughs> much more from the, the government. And um, so uh, people in France tend to rely a lot on the government and on social uh, safety nets that are available in that country. So in France, you can live uh, happy because, uh, you know, you're not going to, even if you lose your job, uh, you have some safety nets that's going to help you. You know, the education is free. I mean, paid for the taxes, but as a person, you feel it as much. Uh, when the U.S., I felt that I had to survive. In France, you live. In the U.S., you survive. Yeah. So it's a constant fight. You know, you always need to uh, fight to make sure you don't fall. Um, and as, I don't know, as um, dark as it may seem, that's a great motivation to get you to go beyond uh, what you seem to, uh, to go beyond what you, you think you can do. Yeah. Uh, when you feel that you can die, when you feel that you can uh, lose, well, you're going to fight further than you actually expected. That, that is for sure, <laughs> which, which doesn't mean that we should let people die. <laughs> for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I think there's some system where you can, I don't know, yeah. But it's, it's completely true. I feel, I feel a bit the same way um, when I went to the US. Yeah. Anyway. So, Etienne, we are at the one hour and 45 minutes mark. Uh, how do you feel about uh, stopping here? All right, yeah, my, my actually uh, oldest girl is going to go back from school soon, so that's right time. Sounds great. Okay, well, in that case, uh, let's uh, part ways today. Uh, thank you, Etienne, for having this conversation with me. It was a uh, 
fun souvenirs, fun memories to to have with you. Uh, and it was great to to learn a bit more about uh, things I actually didn't know about you. So yeah, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you, Damien. It was great. Honestly, I had a lot of fun uh, chatting. So thank you. Okay, Etienne. See you. Bye-bye.